everyone welcome or welcome back to criminal curiosity a true crime podcast i'm your host jade and thank you so much for joining me today last week we talked about the love duo gwen graham and kathy wood who murdered elderly alzheimer's patients and this week we are going to be talking about the murder of Corey parker so let's get started Corey Parker was born on August 15, 1973, in Rochester, New York, to Bruce Parker and Liz Parker. Corey was an extremely sociable person, and she attended Brighton High School and graduated in 1991. She attended Buffalo State College in Buffalo, New York, and then moved to the University of Buffalo, before relocating to Daytona Beach, Florida in 1994. I lived in Daytona Beach for four years when I first moved to America and I miss it. It's lovely. It's a terrific spot if you like the beach. It gets torn up by hurricanes. Yeah, I experienced that at one point, but Daytona Beach is known as the world's most famous beach. Corey was someone that thrived in warmer weather of the South rather than the frigid winter of the North, and I can definitely understand that. After a few years, she relocated from Daytona Beach to Jacksonville, which is just about an hour away, where she attended Florida Community College in Jacksonville. Corey was a member of the cheerleading team when she was younger. Corey lived in a two-bedroom apartment in September 1998, and she was also within walking distance of the beach, which she absolutely loved. Corey worked as a bartender at the Ragtime Tavern, and this was like the ideal job for Corey because she was a very sociable person, and she could literally strike up a conversation with anyone, and it wouldn't be awkward. Corey was friends with 18-year-old Ashley, who lived right next door to Corey with her mother. Corey was 25 years old at the time, and she always included Ashley in everything because she didn't want people to feel left out, which Ashley absolutely loved about her. She adored that, that about her, and thought of Corey as a big sister. Corey also had another friend named Amy who they met at a pizza restaurant and they described their connection as partners in crime. Tiffany, another one of her friends, had a little girl crush on Corey and she was very much infatuated with her, looked to be heading in the right direction. And she wasn't really that concerned, but when she talked to her neighbors, they said that they also saw someone peeking through their window. Corey and her friends hosted a little Friendsgiving in November 1998. Amy, her friend, was unable to go because she was going to be attending Thanksgiving with her family. 
David was also unable to celebrate with her because he would be with his family. On November 26, 1998, Corey and her friends went to the Ritz, which is a nearby pub. Why did I say pub like I'm in England? I meant a bar, her mind. Around 1.30 a.m., Corey arrived home and went to bed. Corey was supposed to work the next morning on the 27th, but she didn't show up. Neither did she call and say that she wouldn't be able to show up, which alarmed her manager since they were in constant communication and Corey always showed up to work and if she didn't, she would have called in. So, the manager sent one of the cooks to her apartment to check on her. When he arrived, he knocked on the door multiple times and received no answer. So he goes back to his manager, tells him that she didn't answer. The manager says, go back and check once more because he was highly concerned. When the cook returned to Corey's apartment, he discovered that her bedroom window was slightly open, so he was able to get his hand through the window and move the blinds. And when he did, he noticed a bloodied leg. The cook returns to the restaurant to tell the manager of what he saw. The manager contacts the police, and Corey's apartment is then visited by the Jacksonville Police Department. They knock on Corey's door, but no one responds, which is unusual given that her car is in the driveway and her kitchen window is open. It seems like someone would be home. Police were able to enter through the kitchen window and open the front door, allowing the second officer to enter. While walking around the apartment, officers discovered the lifeless body of 25-year-old Corey Parker. She was propped up on the bed, nude and covered in blood. Officers claimed that this was the most heinous crime scene that they had ever witnessed. The walls were splattered in blood, and Corey appeared to be backed into the corner, like she had nowhere else to go. Her legs were spread apart as if they had been positioned by someone that way, but there was no sign of sexual assault. Corey had been stabbed a total of 101 times. Her throat was slashed twice, and 54 of her stab wounds were post-mortem, which means she was stabbed 54 times after she was already dead. They discovered Corey's underwear and socks, which had a single strand of hair, and that was taken to forensics for testing. They also discovered a gold lighter at the crime scene, and while Corey was a smoker, this exact lighter did not belong to her. The police bagged it, dusted it for fingerprints, but the fingerprints revealed nothing. They discovered stains of blood on the window seal inside and outside the window as they looked around the apartment. Police began thinking this crime was highly personal because that was literally overkill. They suspected that it may have been someone close to Corey. When police originally discovered the crime scene and saw the state of her body, they assumed that it was a sexually motivated crime but the medical examiner said that there was no evidence of sexual assault. There were signs on Corey's body that indicated she fought back against her killer. She had scratches 
and she had hair strands in the palm of her hand as if she pulled them out of her attacker's head. One of the strands of hair was had an intact root. Basically, she literally ripped it from the top of his scalp. Police began investigating Corey's friends and bringing them in for questioning. They spoke with Tiffany, and police learned about Tiffany from Corey's friends and that she was pretty much infatuated with Corey. Tiffany also had knowledge about the murder that was not made public. When Tiffany was brought in, she claimed that she called Corey at around 2.30 to 3 a.m. on the night she was murdered. Tiffany reported that she called Corey, and when she answered, she was like, I'm sleeping, and the conversation ended. Tiffany then went to Corey's apartment and knocked on the door. Not sure why, because Corey literally said that she was sleeping. However, her cell phone records show that she never called Corey. Tiffany began refusing to cooperate with investigators. She quickly hired a lawyer and refused to provide a DNA sample. Police had to obtain a court order to obtain her DNA, and when they collected and examined the samples, they were not a match. While analyzing DNA samples, the forensic scientists discovered that the DNA sample was a Y chromosome, which can only be found in men. Police believe that Tiffany said all those lies she conjured up this entire story because she wanted to insert herself into the investigation and make her seem important, make her seem like her and Corey's relationship was like the best thing in the world. Police then looked into Corey's boyfriend, David, but there was no evidence that they had any issues in their relationship because they weren't really dating for that long at the time. David was also in Pensacola at the time of the murder, so he was soon eliminated. After six weeks, Tiffany told police about a man named Eric, who was basically obsessed with Corey. He was stalking her, and he worked as a dishwasher at the same job that she did at the bar. Police went to investigate Eric and discovered that he was truly obsessed with her, even contacting her a hundred times in one day. When police interviewed Eric, he told them that he had asked Corey out several times, and she was just not interested. He said that he was always flirting with her at work and just following her around like a lost puppy. He also expressed his feelings for Corey and even invited her over for Thanksgiving. Police then learned about Eric's mental health history and that he fantasized about killing women. He says that while he, you know, does frequently fantasize about killing women, he did not murder Corey. Police ask him, you know, if you did kill Corey, how would you have done it? And he said that he would do the exact same thing. The same way that she was murdered is the same way that he would have killed her. The police obtained a search warrant for Eric's home and discovered a bloody knife. They compared the blood to the blood discovered in the apartment and, dis and discovered that it was not a match. They discovered that the blood came from his acne. Not sure how acne blood was on a knife. I'm guessing that he touched it with a knife or like he like messed around with it or something. I don't know. They then obtained a sample of his DNA, but it was not a match. Then Eric was ruled out as a suspect.
Weeks turned into months with no leads as to who murdered Corey Parker in 1998. By the spring of 2000, Corey's friends had called the police with information regarding Corey's neighbor, Robert Denny. Police started to investigate Robert's past and discovered something really disturbing. They discovered that when Robert was eight years old, his brother stabbed a woman to death 98 times. After the murder, Robert moved to Easton, Maryland. Now, because Robert lives in a different state, the Jacksonville Police Department couldn't just obtain his DNA. In July 2000, they contacted the Easton Police Department to get a sample of his DNA. Shortly after Corey's murder, Robert got to work, where he worked at a steakhouse, and he wasn't the same. He was more emotional, and he told his manager that his son, who lives in Easton, Maryland, was killed in a car accident, and that he needed to go be there. But but that was a lie. He, he didn't have any children. His employees all contributed money to help Robert. One day, Robert's sister walks into the restaurant, and the manager gives his sister all the money. And the manager is like, you know, we're really sorry about what happened to Robert's child, about the car accident. We're just sorry. We got a little money to help. And Robert's sister is like, uh, Robert has no kids. What are you talking about? Robert lived in the same apartment building as Corey and would look out the window at her. He would tell guys that he enjoyed watching her and would always masturbate watching her. When authorities tracked down Robert, he was living with a 53-year-old woman and her husband. And while her husband was living in that house, Robert was having an affair with this woman. Police attempted to obtain Robert's DNA many, many, many times. The first was by offering him a bottle of water to drink, but he refused. They then gave him a document to sign and told him that he, you know, had to place the paper in the envelope and lick it, which he refused to do. Robert was also a smoker, so instead of placing the butt of the cigarette in the ashtray, he put it in his pocket, which, obviously, to prevent them from getting his DNA. Because they couldn't get a DNA sample from Robert, they just decided to watch him outside his job. And days and days and days went on, and it just seemed like they would never be able to get a sample of Robert's DNA. However, during one of his 45-minute smoke breaks, Robert spits on the ground. Now, because it was raining, the saliva was just sitting on top of the rain, just, you know, ready to be collected by detectives. He returned to work inside, and police rushed over to collect a sample of Robert's spit. They sent it off to be tested to the FBI, and all they had to do was wait. A few weeks later, the Jacksonville Police Department received a match, with Robert's DNA matching the DNA recovered in the apartment. On November 28, 2000, two years after Corey Parker's death, Robert Denny was arrested and charged with her murder. When police arrested Robert, he seemed pretty confused. He claimed that he didn't kill her and said, quote, the evidence you have is bullshit, end quote. Of course, he didn't believe it because he was so cautious and he made sure not to let his guard down by keeping every single cigarette butt and saying no 
to when they tried to collect his DNA sample multiple times. So him spitting on the ground was really just him on autopilot. He wasn't really thinking that that's how they were going to get get his DNA sample. Robert had been watching Corey for some time, according to police, and on the night of her murder, he snuck into her, her apartment through the kitchen window, and when she got home from the bar around 1 to 1.30 a.m., as she's taking her clothes off and getting ready for bed, he comes out of the closet and attacks her. She puts up a fight, which he wasn't expecting, and she pulled out a clump of hair. The gold ladder had fallen out of his pocket, and after murdering her, he left through the window, leaving a trace of blood behind. After 45 minutes of deliberation, the jury convicted 17-year-old Robert Denny guilty of the murder of Corey Parker and sentenced to life in prison on May 9th, 2005. Robert continues to deny killing Corey, but that's not important. End of episode thoughts. This is a very awful and such a heinous crime. It's brutal. The brothers are very much dreadful, evil, horrible monsters that belong exactly where they are. Um, I do want to say that be alert of your surroundings all the time. Even when you're at home, where you feel the safest. People are weird, people are strange, and people have these weird fantasies. So even when you're at home changing your clothes or doing anything else, especially at night, when people can see, you know, looking through your windows the most, be aware of these things. Closing the blinds and closing the windows just takes a couple of seconds. Obviously, no one wants to live in fear. No one wants to think, oh, if I leave my window open, someone might come through and attack me. You don't want to think like that, and we shouldn't have to think like that. But in this world where there are disgusting, horrible monsters like Robert and his brother and so many people, it leaves us with really no choice but to take these extra steps so that we are safe, especially being women. So be aware of these things. They take a second and they could very much save your life. My thoughts are with Corey and her family. This is such a tragic event that happened for no reason. And with that, today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday, there is a new episode bright and early, 7am, just for you. If you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating so I know what you think of the show, and it also helps me out. You can keep up with me and the podcast at Instagram on at Criminal Curiosity Pod, Twitter Crim Curiosity, and TikTok Criminal Curiosity Pod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.